Welcome to If It Ain't Baroque Podcast, your friendly history special. We are your hosts, Gemma. Hi. And Natalie. On today's episode, we have Molly Anderson of Promenade Travel. Gemma, myself and Molly are going to fangirl about castles and British history travel. Enjoy the episode. Right, how do you pronounce the name of the company before I butchered it with my Scottish accent? I think it's Promenades Travel. My boss has never told me off for saying promenades, so I'll go with that. Yes, let's go with that then. Promenade? Well, yeah, it's like, kind of yeah. French a little bit, you know, promenade. I'm going for a promenade. We're a, we're a specialist sort of history tour operator. So we run, there are two sort of types that we do. There's the history holidays that are sort of three to five days on location exploring a particular topic with a historian um, and we craft that tour with the historian or the author so it's that really what they're passionate about and we really tailor where we visit um, to work with that and then we also do history days uh, which are little day trips basically city tours we've got one in edinburgh one in york one in winchester and we're always open sort of doing new ones to see sort of what's what people would like to see really so yeah, there's the two sort of different things that we do. That sounds fantastic. I don't want to. I don't know if I want to be the tour guide on it or the touri. <laughs> <laughs> so the last tour of 2023 was about the Jacobites. Yes. So as of recording, uh, in two days' time, we're off to Pitlochry in Scotland, uh, exploring the Jacobite risings, and it sort of covers the whole period, sort of 1688 to. 1746 looking at you know from the glorious revolution to the battle of culloden going to a couple of different sites um with pitlockery as the sort of the base where the hotel is yeah sort of just immersing our customers in the landscape and the incredible places that you know are there and are you know what remains of this period of history you did this really good piece you did your blog post on the decline of the clan culture and it was, it was really nice to see because as somebody who's Scottish and who's very passionate about Scottish history, you always think outlander now in the media yes. and you don't get to hear the true story and the brutality and things like that. It's romanticised mm. a lot in the, the media. So do you get a lot of people asking outlander questions when you're on tours? I don't think so, mainly because of our clientele. I feel like most people that go on our tours are retired. You know, they've got, History is the passion that they've taken up or they've always had, but they've now got the time. And a lot of those people haven't seen Outlander. A lot have, but I feel like our tours, if you want to go on an Outlander history, the tour of Scotland, they exist and they're great. And that's not what what we do. So I think we're quite, it's a different audience. But Mm. you're absolutely right that Outlander has completely released a whole new thing of interest in Jacobite history and the stories, which, you know, is, is, is a good thing, but it's yeah. it's not always the true stories. Obviously, it's it's fiction. But yeah, no, it's a difficult one. I'm seeing the same sort of things with, I think, Bridgerton at the moment. Either if you've been to Crown to Couture, the exhibition at Kensington yes. Palace, yes. or there was the one, the Royal Collections Trust as well. This, Dressing uh, the Georgians. Dressing yeah. the Georgians, thank you. Yeah. That I think that they're just, I wonder whether it's just since Bridgerton, that people are really interested in court dress from the 18th century. So it's a fascinating little thing that's making the public more aware of it and more interested in it. Yeah. Mm. It's a it's catch-22 because, the, I mean, the show, shows are great, don't get me wrong. Like mm. uh, I like Outlander. Natalie's a huge fan of Outlander. 
<laughs> it shouts at me for not watching it enough. <laughs> but it can it can screw your reality of history and it's important I mean, to keep grounded to actually 100%. find out what's real, what's not real. Yeah. And uh I remember I went actually I wanted to go on an outlander tour, but they left I think a few minutes before I arrived. I wasn't late, actually. I wasn't late this time. Uh, they left early. So I went on a slightly different tour. And actually, I enjoyed it a lot more. Uh, it was still Scotland, a lot of Scottish castles. And uh, then Gemma and I, a couple of years later, went on our own. Was in an Outlander tour? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we did our own, though. Yes. And it was actually a little more kind of yeah grounded in mm. sort of fact and reality. And you need to not forget that because the shows are great. They're igniting. They're making people sort of aware of history and kind of assigning the giving the agency to the historic characters. Because um, some of the things that we do on the podcast when it's just uh, Gemma and I, we explore kind of the cosmos of a certain event or a certain person. And then it's always good to include almost a Essential, the screen portrayals because they are almost half sometimes of the kind of the weight of the cosmos of said person or event or what have you so it's important to keep them in mind but also important to remember it's not real absolutely i mean i as a young adult i was obsessed with philippa gregory historical novels and i i read them all and i loved them and they did just inform my opinions of these very real historical figures, even though they're yeah. fiction. Philippa Gregory gave them a voice, which for a long time informed my, oh, who's the good guy, who's the bad guy? Yeah. And then I sort of I became a historian and I was like, well, actually, <laughs> there's, there's so much more nuance to that, but I've always got a thing for, I'm always going to have that love of those historical novels. So pop culture really does, even for historians, really influence your perspective on it all. Even when you're, you're, you're into history, like all three of us, like true history, um, it really does because we were talking the other day there and all this stuff has come out now about Catherine Howard being a victim which is great and about Thomas Culpepper and stuff and I said I can't take it seriously because Thomas Culpepper and me is the guy out of the shooters who I loved and I just can't think of him as being bad because in the show they've romanticised that and it's hard to switch off sometimes. No, actually, he wasn't that person on TV. He wasn't that person you grew to love because of a show. In real life, he was not like that, and he was flawed. That's part of the fun of history, isn't it, is that we never really know. I have this argument with my friends who are scientists or mathematicians, and they're like, I, I love a you know, a straight answer, a correct answer, a, you know. Yeah. Um, how can you study something where you never know that what's right? I'm like, that's, that's the fun. <laughs> yes. Gemma and I have a friend who um, likes to, I wouldn't say prank us, but definitely likes to uh, throw us in for a ride. And she, she said, Henry VIII didn't exist. And we kind of just have to, <laughs> one, not to lose our temper in that moment, because I'm a huge fan. <laughs> Henry VIII didn't exist. Pro prove to me that he did. I said, yeah, but Thompson Court, but, you know, and you kind of lost for words. But yeah, you just have to remember that yes it's kind of perhaps perhaps not sort of culture and discipline and it sort of varies and fluctuates and then even with philippa gregory she's um it's a great topic because she uh brought in the women of wars of the roses into the kind of forefront and we didn't speak that much about elizabeth woodville margaret Beaufort, sort of uh 15 years ago but we do now and I think part, partly thanks to her effort and her releasing um, the books and then the TV shows came out and we're all kind of got obsessed with the White Queen, obviously, because it's <laughs> the greatest thing of all time. Yeah, it's it's changing 
perspectives as well as, as time goes on, which is I find fascinating. So the tours next year, what um, kind of tours are you going to be doing? Um, so a lot of them are the same ones we've run before, but we've actually introduced two already that are new. Um, so we've got one on, it's called the Route to Waterloo, um, looking at, you know, the lead up and to the great, the great victory. And then another one that we've just introduced that I need to remember the name of. That's about the border reavers between England and Scotland and the... Um, Love it conflicts there and i'm really excited about this one because we visit lindisfarne and um a lot of the sort of battlefield sites that the rivers were involved in both english and scots so it's fascinating and i've got a right soft spot for lindisfarne so two new tools that we've we're introducing which is going to be exciting and then some of our old favorites that cover the hundred years war so we talk about battles of cressy and agincourt mainly medieval castles in the cotswolds you've got one in ireland have you Yes, yes. So that's uh, talking about the Williamite Jacobite Wars. Sort of again, it links in quite a lot of our tours actually link in with Scottish history. I think because as a team, we're quite we have got a soft spot for Scotland. Um, you'll be pleased to hear, Gemma. You're in the right place. You're in the right. Place. You're, you're definitely in the right place. <laughs> but the yeah, Williamite Jacobite Wars in Ireland, the castles on the Welsh English border, some you know naval history ones based down south. Um, so there's a right stretch, Wars of the Roses. You know, we cover a lot and they're always quite, I think they're quite niche, quite, you know, lesser known things or they're, they're the big topics like Wars of the Roses. But we look at them because our tours are very local, locally based. Uh, we can't, you know, look at everywhere around the country during the Wars of the Roses. So it is a very sort of narrow look at it. But the historians are really good at putting it in the picture and the whole context. So I think that's what sets us apart as a company is that we take this historian who's an expert in this and they're so passionate they're all brilliant and we put them in a little location with some castles and battlefield sites and these and you just see the excitement in them and our customers which is yeah it's a lovely thing to see um you said the royal navy one so uh, natalie's a huge fan of the royal navy aren't you Yes. So going on, on like historic Navy, ships, please. Yes. <laughs> yes. If we're going on the Royal Navy tour, what would we be looking at? Um, so that's our we've got our Hearts of Oak uh, based in Rochester. That uh, that's with JD Davies, the author, uh, looking at the early days of the Royal Navy. So we visit Deptford and Greenwich and the Chatham got the Chatham dockyards, which I quite like. It's called the midwife settings and things, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's again like this is the thing. I I'm really grateful for Bob Lars Travel because it's letting me learn about so many bits of history that I don't know that much about. So I don't actually know that much about the Royal Navy, but I have to write about it for the for the blog and the social media. So I really enjoy that I can learn. I have to learn quite quickly, but learn about things I don't know much about. I specialised in early modern social history, so yeah, it's great to be able to pick up new things that to write about yeah i don't know natalie probably knows more about the royal navy than i do but well speaking of royal navy if my memory is serving me correct because uh we haven't done any posts about it today but the father of the royal navy was henry the eighth and today is the anniversary i believe when we're recording this not when we're um launching uh the episode but i think today is the anniversary of the mary rose rise so when they brought the mary rose up to the surface yeah. in 1982 i believe or something wow. like that so yeah today is the anniversary of the rise Happy Merry Rose Day. It's like they knew. It's like they knew. (laughs) Exactly. It's like they knew. 
what churches is it is on the Cotswold tour? Oh, Cotswold Church tour, which is a shame because it didn't run this year. It's the nature of the fact that we're such a specialist tour company and that we pride ourselves on uh, having such small groups that we actually sometimes the tours don't run. Yeah, we want we want them to be small groups and they're quite niche mm-hmm. topics. So this year, the, the church's tour, if I believe, didn't run. Uh, which is a shame. So hopefully it will this in 2024. What is the maximum number? I don't think we have a, a maximum, but we sort of aim for around six. So I think there are only three people going on our Scotland tour uh, this week, uh, which is great for them because they get such a great connection with the historians because we do, you know, you, they talk, you, they take you around these sites and then they sit around the dinner table with you and keep talking about it all. So that's great for great for them. And I think we like to maintain that sort of intimate, very personal sort of nature of the tours. Mm-hmm. Um, so six people is sort of ideal for us. So Same as on my walking tours, actually, because I don't like having a lot of people. My dream is kind of between four and six so that everyone is listening, everyone is engaged and doesn't turn into a crowd. So yeah, six is perfect. You don't want to spread yourself too thinly as a as an expert. So passionate about it that the more people you have to talk to, the less excited it can excited you can be. I, I don't like the big tours. I've been on a couple of tours and there's been quite a lot of people and you can't hear and it just kind of gets lost. No, I think that's what has put me off in the past as well, is that all the tours I've been to or been on are quite niche ones. Talk about the like underground city in Edinburgh. I love that, but there was only a, a small number of us. I didn't want to do a big a big walking tour no. of the city in crowds of people anyway. But you know, small groups in you know are fascinating, especially in the underground bits of Edinburgh. From what I remember, yeah, it's very Halloweeny as well and they take you to these kind of almost catacombs or something but yeah it was very eerie and i wouldn't want to be there with sort of 20 other people because it just the magic is lost and i think Mm -hmm. yeah you need to keep as a tour guide you need to keep your attention like you said you spread yourself too thin i think the atmosphere with tours is so key so i went on the edinburgh underground tour um it was a miserable wet february it was, I think it was storm dennis or something and it was it was miserable and cold and we were in these yeah underground sort of areas like shivering and hearing about all these horror stories of burke and hare and witches and things and it just sets it sets the mood which is brilliant. And I think that's also what's great about this, our Jacobites tour this week is to be in the landscapes. So at one point we're at the Glenfinnan monument, which you turn around, you see the massive Glenfinnan viaduct, which so many people go and see, obviously. But it was on the side of that lock that Bonnie Prince Charlie rode up and started his rising. And I, I, mean, I just I just love the Highlands, but you're in, in amongst it all. And that's where it happened. And I think that's that's the great thing about these tours is that you, you see it for yourself almost. You're, you're there where the history happened, which is yeah. a luxury, I think. It feels different when you're standing in a place where you know something major has happened. You, you might see it on TV, but it's not until you're standing in the middle of a battlefield and you can really think, oh my goodness, it's happened here. So what tour I wanted to go on was the Monmouth one. Natalie's a big fan of um, Charles I, don't you? Yes. <laughs> but uh, I like Charles II, to be fair. And Monmouth, I, I love that story. I love him rising. It's nice I usually walk. tell the story of his execution, mm-hmm. but um, anything before that is also very good. <laughs> Mark, who leads the Monmouth tour, is really good. No, it went down really well this year. 
No, that's the thing. It's it's the difficult thing with being a, a travel company in that so Promenade Travel was set up just pre-COVID and that's the worst okay. time for a travel company to be set up. So it's, it's, it's a difficult industry and there are so many tour operators, so many great companies and so many great tour guides, Natalie, for example. So it, it's it's competitive sometimes and it's hard to get the audience sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I think all we can do is offer the best we can and what we offer is specialists in the field who are incredibly passionate. It is very uh, far-reaching your tours. You are not even just in the UK, you are going to Belgium, you are going to France. I think it's got something for everybody. Yeah, I think so. We do try and broaden it. So the um, the Belgian and France tours, tours, they always go down really well. Slightly harder to manage and you don't quite get as much content because of the travel. But French history is fascinating. Why would you, you know, want to go to the, the battlefields of the Hundred Years' War? And we make sure there's a luxury hotel waiting for you as well. So it makes it all worth it. Yeah, always good. You need the hotels. So what kind of history did you study then? So I did history at Lancaster uh, Uni and I focused on early modern social history. But the great thing about the degree at Lancaster is that they really, the first year in particular, they make you cover so many parts of history in tiny, like in, in not a lot of detail, but tiny snippets, which really sets you up for sort of figuring out what it is you love. From there, I so I specialised in early modern domestic healthcare in Hertfordshire. Um, so because I was doing a degree in a pandemic, I managed to do all my research in my local archives. So even though I was up at Lancaster Uni, I did my degree on Hertfordshire history, which I loved because it meant I could look at really local sources, local people. If you were going to do one of the tours, what would you want there to Oh, I don't know. I think I'd love the castles. I do love a castle. I've got a castle tattoo. Uh, that's Lancaster Castle because so I did that as a graduation present to myself. Lancaster um, Castle. That's the one that's been turned into a prison at some point, right? It was so until or oh, so 2011, I think it was a it was a prison, but it was a bit of a nightmare to maintain as a building that's you know over, like 800 years old or whatever. So it closed, but it's got a fascinating and quite gory history. Uh, so I think I'd want to do the the castles of the the marcher lords uh, on the Welsh border because I do just love a castle. Yeah. What's yours, UT? What's your favourite castles? Stirling. Oh, I do like Stirling. I like Stirling Castle. I think that's probably one of my favourite Scottish castles. I actually really liked Lancaster Castle. I took my kids when they were really young and they loved it and they don't really like things like that, but they loved it. I think they, they liked the, the fact that it was a jail because you, you can go into the prisons and stuff and they liked all that and then all the witch history there as well mm. i mean lancaster's got quite a lot to offer yeah i mean it started off as a roman fort mm. where the word lancaster comes from it's loon the river loon castrum fort there are some roman bath ruins very small sort of tucked out of the way but yeah and then the medieval castle sort of expanded by john of gaunt duke of lancaster and then yeah a prison in the in the 1900s in the beginning of the of this century so it is it's got a very broad history and mm-hmm. you know witches and torture and hangings and all sorts mine how much time do you have <laughs> <laughs> if we're talking london i would say the tower because technically it's mm-hmm. a castle as well if we're talking wales then probably Carnarvon, because it has yeah, a very great. particular history and it's just, just linked wonderfully throughout. 
gorgeous ruins as well it's just looking at you they're just so aesthetically pleasing absolutely beautiful especially because this was never quite finished that's what kills yeah. me about the welsh castles is, is they weren't even finished your bomarises and all that scotland edinburgh probably <laughs> kind of go to standard default uh yeah that's more or less but literally most of them it's easier to probably say which ones i don't like least favorite castle I'm going to be very cheeky and say Fotheringay because it doesn't exist. <laughs> very cheeky. Go on, Gemma. Please castle. Do you know, we have one near me called Bothwell Castle and the history is really cool, but there's not much left of it and it's been left to ruin and I wouldn't even bother going and seeing it. If I can change my answer to Mid-Hope. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I haven't been, so I can't comment. No, Gemma and I were there two years ago and we chose it obviously because it has Outlander associations and everything and we were lo really looking forward to it. It's not hugely advertised. It's I think we talked about it in one of our podcasts at some point. I don't even know if we released that episode, but <laughs> we literally blabbed on about it for a long time once. Midhub Castle is called the castle, but it's basically kind of like a four-story barn. It doesn't have much to it. The only thing it has is the fact that Outlander was filmed next to it. Mm -hmm. You can't even go inside. This is the arch with the with the gate, mm -hmm. and you're looking at it, and kind of the look, uh, the view through the gate into the into the house, because it's basically just a less than fancy house. Mm -hmm. I don't know who came up with the word castle for it, but that this is my least favorite because it shouldn't be called a castle. It's so often the way, though, that places that aren't castles are just called castles. Um, yeah. You get it a lot in France as well with, you know, they're just their houses. If you look at a map of, like, all the castles in Europe and the sort of density of them all, there are so many castles. Yeah. So when actually they're just a lot of them houses. But I completely agree. I can see why that would be disappointing, that one. I think I, castles that aren't real castles, I love Bodium Castle. Because it was it was built past the era of cars. It was after the building period. The sorry, start that again. At first, I thought that was what you had in your tattoo. Actually, I thought you had Bodium. At yeah, first. It's, it's a gorgeous castle, so symmetrical and beautiful. But it was built after the sort of big period of castle building. It's just because a medieval knight wanted a big medieval castle, and I completely respect it. Same as Penryn in Wales as well. Mm. So it's looks gorgeous. It's called a castle, National Trust, I think. But it was built way past. It was built, I think, 19th century. Yeah. Or the newer version of Cardiff. Castle in name only, but it's not going to defend you against anyone. Mm. <laughs> what you're talking said about uh, castles built in like the 19th century, um, it actually really disappointed me when I went to Aileen Donnan Castle. It, well, it was built in the early 1900s because it was a ruin and I didn't realise until just before I went. And that had been one of my top castles to see forever. Mm. And I went and I was like, oh, it's pretty, but it's not real. <laughs> well, that's yeah. disappointing. I went up to Scotland earlier this year and I was like, that's the castle I've got to go to. And actually, I preferred Dune Castle near Stirling. And I, I, I think I preferred that because it was this much more evocative ruin. It's a, it's a problem with social media sometimes and what, what with films and that you'll see things like Middle Castle and you think, oh, it's, it's an Outlander and they're yeah. great for an Instagram picture, but in real life, it's not really worth it. Middle Castle is really hard to get to if we didn't have the car. I don't know. Or if you're on a tour, I guess. If you were visiting and you didn't have access to transport, you could not get there. 
really, really hard to get to. And they warn you that there are no facilities. So there's literally just a guy guarding a gate or something, which is on the other side of the Hope Town estate where you can enjoy things. But we didn't go there that day because I think they were filming out under that day. (laughs) So we just got the the mid-hope and we had to hurry to the next one anyway. My friend once called uh, Han Airport in Frankfurt. She said it's a barn in the middle of a field. So I'm sorry about Midhop Castle people. I respect what you do, but it's literally a barn, although a very tall one in the middle of a field. And it's a working farm as well. So mm-hmm. they charge you for entry into the estate, into the bit. But there's it's not, you know, the case where you go to Heber or Ham House or something where or Hatfield where you get to go inside. You get to enjoy some of it from the inside as well. And they recreate the, you know, the, the interior and everything according to the period or whatever. This is not the case, literally. You just get to enjoy it from outside. I mean, you get to go around a little bit, but again, it's a working farm and there is no, you know, there's, there are no souvenir shops. There are literally nothing. It's literally as if you've gone to someone's house and you went to the back entry by accident. Yeah, pop culture and social media lead you into a false sense of what you're you're expecting. Yeah. Uh, actually, I, I completely forgot that Annick Castles are actually one of my favourites. Oh. It's amazing. I haven't been since I was a kid. I really want to go back. It's not that far. Like when I've been up to to Lindisfarne, no, absolutely good shout. Do you want to tell us a bit about the, the historians that you have working? Yeah, absolutely. So because we cover such a long period of, you know, the Jacobite Rises, mm-hmm. 1680s to 1740s, and like I said, we're based in we're based in Pitlockry, so we can't see everything. Quite often we get people saying, oh, no, no stop here. And it's because we can't, but it's that's part of the excitement is that we can... We give you a taste for it if you're inspired and want to learn more about it, or you can go off on your own. Um, but our Jacobite Risings tour, uh, we go to the battlefield of Killicranky, um, which was a great victory for the Jacobites. We go to Glencoe with the the massacre of the Macdonald clan, which is uh, very evocative and a bloody history. Um, Fort William to relive the siege and visit the famous Highland Clans Museum. And then Culloden, where the Jacobite cause ended in what is, you know, there's a bit of controversy about it, but perhaps the last pitched battle fought in the UK. But, with, you know, swinging by Glenfinnan for the monument there and looking at the, the viaduct, which I just love um, as a Harry Potter fan as well. Driving fl- through the um, the Great Glen, it's all just gorgeous and it all sort of creates this sense of being immersed in the landscape where you where this history has happened and you can really relive it with the help of these historians. So in terms of the historians that run our tours, we've got quite a good selection and we're always sort of networking and trying to create new tours with new people. But we've got a great selection of historians and all sorts of different topics. So Dr. Rob Jones is brilliant with our castles, our March of the March of Lords and the Welsh Borders. Dr. Samantha Harper is brilliant with the with the churches in the Cotswolds. We've got our military historians, James Faulkner, J.D. Davis. Christopher Chantner does our sort of World War One tour that we, we ran this year. So, yeah, a great selection on a great number of topics. Julian Humphreys, Barry Hilton. Barry Hilton runs our Jacobite Risings. He's a, a very proud Scot and, uh, yeah, fascinated by 17th and 18th century uh, military history and wargaming. And he's he's fully immersed in it. You can The passion is there in everything he does. And that's what we, we pride ourselves on is picking historians who 
are so passionate and are good at talking to people and yeah can sort of gauge the interests of the customers and go with the flow um to create these really sort of unique experiences for for our our customers yeah you don't have the world war one tour for next year is that not happening next year? it's not on our calendar for next year but that is always subject to change sometimes we introduce tours quite last minute but it's, it's one of those things that traveling to france and belgium for it is an extra pressure an extra cost um so we sort of weigh up and see we gauge interest and go from there um so if people listen to this and really want to know about the um, british expeditionary force in france and belgium in world war one then let us know and we'll see we'll see if we win it where can we find you all your social media stuff and then where can we find all the companies uh, on instagram it's promenades underscore travel uh, we're on linkedin and if you just google promenade travel you'll find us straight away um if you read the blog that's all my work <laughs> so i write weekly articles for that and post quite regularly on yeah instagram facebook and occasionally linkedin wherever you want to find us what are you working on on your blog now um so i've just sent off an article on the Hundred Years' War and some lesser-known battles, um, because that's our first tour of 2024, is uh, looking at the battles of Cressy and Agincourt, which was really popular the last time it ran, so we're looking forward to doing that one again. And then the next article I'll be writing will be on the border reavers for the tour that we are introducing for the first time in 2024. Uh, it's running in July, looking at the uh, English and Scottish conflicts and raiding and pillaging and all of that fun and a trip to Lindisfarne which I will definitely want to go on I love Lindisfarne so much I did I've never been if you're not um, if you go in September there's a company called Dig Ventures and they do an archaeological dig there sort of by the ruins sort of just just towards the harbour and I did that a few years ago and it was my first ever dig and they had me excavating human remains and it was the most incredible experience. Um, so if you go then, you can see what's going on, what they're, what they're digging. And sometimes you see some really cool things. But otherwise, it's such a peaceful, but, you know, historically charged atmosphere. Yeah. So we're going there in September. Yeah. Or July with promenade travel. Oh, sorry. Whereabouts in Scotland are you, Gemma? Yeah, I'm in North Lanarkshire, so it's just not, it's not about 20 minutes away from Glasgow. Fair no, it's not that far. Edinburgh's only an hour away, so Gemma's no longer allowed to drive into Edinburgh. No, because Natalie had come up. When did when did you come up? Two years ago, for the first time. No, you didn't. The other, the other month there. Oh, this year, end of July, beginning of August. Uh, we went up to Needham Verness way. We went to Banff uh, for the weekend, and I had Duff to... house. Yeah. We, 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 where, did I, where did I pick you up? You picked us up in Dunfermline. So that that was the closest we could get. Well, I could get with the car, and we wanted to see stuff in Dunfermline anyway. Mm. But uh, before that, before that, I could just pick you up in Edinburgh. Is it Dunfermline? Is it an abbey or a cathedral? So it's an abbey. It's and next to it are the remains of the palace. So mm. I wanted to go there forever because, like Gemma said before, <laughs> I am crazy about Charles the First. When I read that he was born there, I said, I want to go there. And then finally this year we 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 got to go. So yeah, you I think it's yes on the same premises. So you have mm-hmm. the giant abbey and it has a lot to do with Robert the Bruce as well. Mm-hmm. And that's where Charles the First was born. So yeah. Well, I know someone who got married there and I was very jealous because what an amazing place to get married. I would be amazing to get married though. The thing, isn't it, is that the people who 
work at these heritage sites really do make such a difference absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. your experience it really is key as to experience mm-hmm. well i wasn't a deadline because again i so in the morning i had to travel obviously to wales from london what was it london to chester and then a change from chester to bangor and then travel on a bus because Canaver no longer had a working train station because it's shut. And hopefully, maybe with all the crown extravaganza, they actually will reopen the railway there someday. I don't know. At that point, they didn't have the railway station. So I had to go by bus from Bangor, which also is nowhere near the train yeah. station. You have to walk to it for about mm-hmm. 15 minutes. So all of that, you're setting in, um, getting into a hotel, which thankfully was right next to the castle. Great hotel, great burger. And I had, yeah, about 45 minutes or something until it closed. So I had to be quick, but it was fine. I got the photos. I still have some photos I haven't even posted yet. It's one of my favorites, definitely. Mm-hmm. Great memories. I really like Harlech. I, I did, um, it was last September and I did Conway, Carnarvon, Crickies, Harlech, Bermaris. So all, all around there. As sort of like a, a long weekend trip, and it was it was incredible. Uh, it's very hard to pick a favourite there, but like you said, I've got so many photos of those castles that I haven't posted. I think that's the thing. I go on these trips that are like history holidays, promenade to travel, or my own personal yeah. yeah trips, and I get so many photos. I have too many to post, and I just just get a bit overwhelmed with it and don't. We hit a few castles, and we didn't even go in. Do you remember? Was it Skin? We got to. We got to skin and the, again, it's the staff are really amazing. If you ask, we had said to the, the poor guy on the the door, who will not name in case he gets sacked, but we said to him, we just want to, we don't want to come in. We were trying to, we Glams. went into skin, so we did. So we got to Glams, and um, we said to him, we just want a photo because <laughs> it was like twenty pounds again, wasn't it? And we didn't have time. We had to either we make the glams or we make scoon, but mm-hmm. there was no way we could do both. And we already had given up Duff House. <laughs> it was yeah. it was a long day. <laughs> a long day. And a lot of travelling. But it was fun. But we said to him, we just want we just want one photo outside or a couple of photos of the, the castle. And he said, All right, okay, on you go. And he just he let us in for a couple of photos and then we headed back out. Yeah. When they go back up and actually see inside. But yeah, visitor experience really is it is really key. I was at Dunvegan Castle on the Isle of Skye and the queue for tickets was so long. And that's fine. There was one person at the kiosk and that they're working really hard, I completely understand. But the lady in front of me, she was American and she was spending the whole time chatting to me, we're having a great conversation. And she was saying, oh, I'm not actually coming today. I'm just getting tickets for tomorrow so I can skip the queue. In front of the queue, we've been queuing for ages. And the guy was like, you can't buy tickets for tomorrow. You really? You you buy tickets now for today, or you can buy them online for tomorrow. I was going to say, online exists. No one cancelled yeah, the internet. And she queued for ages for tickets for the next day, oh. and he was like, no. That's such a shame because older generations, my dad can't do anything online at all, and he loves history, he loves going to museums and castles and everything else. And when I take him places, it's me that's doing it, obviously, online, if I have to book online. You have to make it accessible to all the generations, especially a little bit younger people like me who are really not that tech savvy. No, me neither. You saw me try and join this call. But no, accessibility is is key. Mm -hmm. It's a debate in a lot of heritage sites, obviously, putting in like lifts and things. Yes. uh, And historic floorboards not being able to support modern wheelchairs. Accessibility is a a very real issue in heritage. 
But what is your thoughts on the cathedrals and that? Do you like going to the cathedrals as much as the castles? I do love a cathedral. Ely Cathedral in Cambridgeshire is gorgeous. The sort of octagon ceiling. So I do, I do love a cathedral. I'm not particularly religious, but mm. I just, yeah, obviously I've studied the, the dissolution of the monasteries and, and things, and they're just incredibly evocative places, whether ruined or not. So from an artistic and architectural point of view, I absolutely love them. Yeah. At Ely Cathedral, when I went, they had a table there that was made of a slice of a tree that had, it was like a prehistoric, like 40,000 years ago or something. This tree fell into a peat bog and was perfectly preserved. And they made a table out of this, like a slice of this tree. Uh, I can't, I can't even tell you how long this table was, but it didn't look out of place in a giant cathedral. And it was this incredible thing to see. I think it was going on tour of a few other cathedrals. It's in, it's in Cambridgeshire. It was sort of another aspect of local history, prehistory. Prehistory. They're just sort of, you know, it brought in more people and another side of, of local history, which I love. I'm a graveyard fan. I love graveyards. I haven't been to very many, like the, the big graveyards in like Highgate in London. I haven't been. I would love to. Yeah. My uh, my campus, so I, I go to Queen Mary University of London for my master's. And we've got a Jewish cemetery in there from like the 1700s that's just in the middle of our campus. And it's it's fascinating to, to sort of see. And it's, it's a very, it's, it's, quite, uh, it's a lot of Jewish history in the East End of London. A lot of, been to lots of little local things, but none of the like big, yeah, big fancy Victorian cemeteries in London. We usually end a podcast with a couple of questions, just random questions. You're right with that. I mean, we've asked you random questions all the way through this. To be yeah, like we have. Okay, so usually we ask if you were to have a historical tattoo, what would it be? But you already have one. So is there another one you have in mind? I, so as part of my third year at uni, I looked at a lot of sort of medieval manuscripts mm. and the marginalia just, uh, I was absolutely in love with. So for a long time, I've played around with the idea of there are like little, yeah, marginalia of sort of cat snail hybrids yeah and weird little animals and like things like that so i've thought for a while about getting a little yeah snake cat thing on my arm not really sure uh we'll see i might because lancaster castle was a graduation present maybe it's a graduation present from my masters i'll get hampton court palace we'll see molly thank you so much for joining us And we'll see you again at the Jacobite season. (laughs) Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of If It Ain't Baroque podcast. Please like, subscribe and share with your friends. Gemma and myself, you can find us on social media. The handle is at If It Ain't Baroque podcast on Instagram. And we have an account on the X of the Twitter where we are at Baroque podcast. And if you'd like to read our blog and find out more, please visit the website ifitaintbaroque.art. If you'd like to join me on one of my walking tours, and I have three at the moment, one about the medieval and Tudor monarchs, one about the Georgian and Windsor monarchs, and one about naughty London in Southwark, please join me. The website is reignoflondon.com and there will be links in the description of this episode. Thank you so much and see you next time.